0: Right now to buy my home, I need to go to a bank, have them approve me I need to get money from someone in order to pay somebody else for this house. And that money comes from one bank. With DeFi, that money can come from many, many people. There's there might be one service, but there could be a hundred or thousand people that are saying, I'm willing to uh, loan money to somebody with this that meets this kind of criteria and then they get uh, they get the interest.
1: All right. Welcome back to another episode of People of Product. My name is George Brooks, and today I'm joined by the very infamous, the very famous, I don't know, um, the pretty normal co host of this thing we do called Daniel. <laughs> Ordinary. And I. <laughs> <An> ordinary <laughs> man for extraordinary times there you go and if, and if you were on our last uh episode if you were our last episode we had a special guest as well and that's mr Tyler hilker it's good to have you with us you know it's always good to be
0: here special or not i'm happy to be here
1: i think we're all ordinary in our own way and we're all special in our own way and i i like it that way um oh, that was nice yeah, yeah. i appreciate yeah. that Hey. We're trying a new podcasting system, so would love the feedback. If this sounds better, if it sounds worse, just just let us know. Um, we uh, we're we're gonna we're going to straight into the new year with some new tools and uh, trying some, trying out some new things. T- Tyler, you sound delicious. You sound great with the new Thank mic. You. Delicious.
0: New yeah. year, new mic. Nice.
1: You're fabulous, Tyler. <laughs> new beard. Anyway. Um. If you listened to last episode, you knew that we're jumping into this very popular, very exciting, very new-to-most-people space, but not actually new to the world, technically speaking. Novel? Uh, called... Novel, yeah, definitely, uh, called Web3. Um, in the first episode in that last episode, we talked um, through this idea of what was Web1? which is really kind of the dawn of uh, publishing pages, mostly hosted on computers that were underneath your desk or something that was in your house or your office. Uh, then Web 2.0 is the dawn of um, web applications, mobile apps, and cloud-based computing. Um, and we've kind of seen these different ways of, of thinking about computing. And now Web 3.0 is a new type of computing. It's a new way of thinking about uh, where our data is, how it's stored, how it's decentralized now uh, through mm-hmm. blockchain and through um, a decentralized server model. And there's a lot of opportunities for that. We're seeing, obviously, a huge uptick in Twitter chatter and social media chatter around NFTs and crypto and DeFi and dApps and all these words, right? There's a little bit of so, jargon. There's what a we, little What jargon. was just named there, Yeah. There's <laughs> some jargon. <laughs> so many so words. what we're going to there's just so many words. So this this episode today is um, is really not necessary for you if you're someone who is already very familiar with the Web three universe. Um, this is really honestly it's a bit of learning for us to force us to go do a little research to wrap our heads around some some words, some jargon, some vocabulary, and we're going to kind of rapid hit some of the the top jargon terms the top vocabulary of the web 3 movement the web 3 universe um kind of building from the ground up kind of what is the infrastructure um vocabulary and then all the way up to some more things that you've probably seen if you've been paying attention to the internet or even guys i i, I, I told tyler this i was watching a clip from i don't know it's like msnbc or something like that and one of the investment shows and they were talking about like the whether or not each of them was going to buy a board ape or a crypto punk and the valuations of that over stock prices. Right. Uh, so what a weird time to be alive when it's like, do I buy, you know, do I invest into this, um, this fund or into, uh, bonds or do I buy a board ape?
0: Well, it, it's interesting too, because the, this kind of news is the speed at which news moves. It outpaces so many other conversations, yeah. And so it was really easy to have no idea what any of this is talking about because it's it's easy to be in a certain bubble for better or worse. Well, That's it, right,
1: and, and it's, it what, that it is exciting made though.
2: Yeah, it it got to the headlines, yeah. you know, and then it's yeah. uh, to me. I mean, I'm I'm known about it for you know maybe a year and a half or two years or whatever, but I would say in from the beginning of 2021, throughout it, the escalation of all the news mm-hmm. coverage that it was getting um particularly you know bitcoin ethereum you know blockchain itself cryptocurrency all of that just i did a hockey stick from a news coverage you know and i'm sure you could there's got to be a chart out there somewhere as far as the amount of news coverage it got and then when that happens obviously it just becomes more and more even though it's not ubiquitous because it's so confusing which is why we're having these episodes Mm -hmm. uh, to unpack this but it just seems ubiquitous from a you know you're at a party it's like hey do you hear about this whole blockchain thing? I mean, everyone seriously, and they're like, "What is I mean, it?" And most people I are like, explaining uh, I don't
1: know." <laughs> to my aunt, you know, my yeah. uh yeah, uh, it's For sure. To go uh, to go you, back out of curiosity, what, do you, what does anybody th- can anybody pinpoint what was and Tyler, you've been probably paying attention to this more than most. What was the event? What was the All I can think about is like when Gary Vaynerchuk did V-Friends or when CryptoPunks hit at at this next level, when board apes started to have this valuation, then everybody went like, "What?" But blockchain's been around for a while. Ethereum's been around for a while. I mean, like it was Dogecoin. That oh, was that was one. Of I the mean, I, that
2: just yeah. That, so, I just felt like that spiked. So
0: that's a good point. CryptoPunks... I mean, Bitcoin's been around for over a decade now, and <clears throat> blockchains have been uh, slowly building. Ethereum's several years old, and other what we call layer one other basic systems Mm -hmm. are uh, a few years old. But what happened earlier this year outside of that particular ecosystem, we had Mm -hmm. people not going to work, spending a lot of time at home, whether voluntarily or lost their jobs, they were quarantined. And so and they were. uh, So they were in a way bored. And they were tied to their computers, Mm -hmm. or their phones. And the the government started handing out checks because they needed to compensate people for um, for lost wages or whatever it was. And so people had disposable time and disposable income. And that is pretty closely tied to this rise in activity, specifically in crypto and NFTS. Because mm-hmm. uh, board apes came out earlier, or early last year, because it's now 2022. But yeah, the board apes haven't been around that long. Uh, Crypto punks, uh, I think, were started in 2017, so that's that's been around for a while, but it was this right. confluence of technology, people being bored, uh, a certain groundswell around this kind of activity, and the discussion around uh, the Bitcoin having and how certain events and changes in price coincide with that particular thing. And so you get people talking about doubling or quadrupling or whatever, 5X that, on their money. That's going to get people really interested in so um, that kind of sucked a lot of people into this whole ecosystem.
2: That's really interesting. You say that Tyler, because that connects. And again, I don't know, you know, I don't think there's causation and there may not be correlation, but there's something there around the concept of yield farming. And you mentioned that a lot of individuals, you know, they were getting the, you know, checks, um, over and over again on a lot of the research I was doing, came up of individuals that have made a ton you know, however many X by yield farming, um, which is essentially day trading. Um, but through different strategies and protocols of, uh, you know, what they call liquidity pools and lending and borrowing, but you have to do it almost on a daily basis, if not even faster than that. And so yeah. a lot of them have been, like you said, work from home, they have disposable income and that could be anybody, but if you get, uh, if you latch on and understand that concept quickly, there was a lot of people and still are, um, making a lot of money from, you know, yield farming, which we might get into later, but I'm just saying that's interesting yeah. that you make that point. Uh, people at home day trading, essentially. Yeah. And
0: there. you, you mentioned on to a touch on that uh, as well. So yield farming and staking, um, yeah. staking is, is basically putting your, your money instead of in a bank, you put it with a stake pool or some sort of, uh, provider and then you get, um, Uh, staking rewards, which are kind of like interest from your bank. And those are pretty easily 5% and up. Whereas people Mm -hmm. in a savings account in their bank are getting 2.5% maybe. And so the appeal there to, to say, Hey, I'll put some, um, I'll put a little bit of money here just to see what it does. Because the, the reward is, um, is worth that, that particular risk and given the, the other broader uh, macroeconomic factors of inflation and Mm -hmm. whatnot, uh, it was just pretty appealing to a lot of people. Yeah.
1: Okay. Well, I think, I think we need to, I think we need to take a step back. We can, we went kind of the, okay, that that's the end goal. What we just talked about there. That the is vortex. the end of this. Yeah. <laughs> this is the vortex. And, yeah, and what you'll find your is head that, spin. <laughs> well, what's interesting for me and Tyler, you tried to explain this, this whole space to, to, to me, at least I know probably to Dan as well. Mm-hmm. And, At first pass, I was like, all right, yeah, cool. I'm kind of familiar, but I don't really care. And then it was like, of course, then all this press and stuff started to happen. And then you were like, no, really, it's like this, 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 and this. And there was so much jargon. There was so much... Barrier to entry. It wasn't easy to understand because the bridges weren't built in my brain, nor were the analogies quite um, apples to apples, right? Mm-hmm. And so, what we want to what we want to do is just kind of as as easily as we can. I want to march through some terms, mm. some basic some basic terms. So again, this this is not going to be a um, like expert course. There is a ton of resources by the uh, by the way online for all this. Um, you could just Google like what is Web three or that's basically what we just did. But mm-hmm. um, and and I want to I want to bring us back because the purpose of this podcast is not necessarily to talk about the cutting edge tech. Mm-hmm. And so some people that have been listening to this podcast for a long time are like, weren't you guys working on a framework last year? Isn't this all about like product culture? And I think what I want to remind us, as we jump into this like, period of learning, is as a team, as Crema, we're learning right now. We're playing. We're exploring. And if you remember back to the framework, one of the key disciplines was exploration. And so as we think about how we may one day be able to contribute for our clients, that we might be able to bring our teams in and start using some of this technology or or leveraging it or thinking about the possibilities, we don't even know what we can and can't do if we don't play a little bit. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to bring it back just a little bit about why is the People of Product podcast talking about Web3 when that's more of like a technology breakdown? Uh, We want to kind of show you a little bit behind the scenes of how we play how we mm-hmm. explore, how we research, how we learn.
2: So- And well, cultures exist in context too. And so our product yeah. culture exists. This is part of the greater context in which we exist. And so yeah. as we explore, we're exploring that context. And so it makes sense to not only look at our product culture, but what what's the field? What's the field yep. of vision, the field of play that we play within?
1: Yeah, perfect. Okay, so let's start. It's not actually the beginning, but let's start at the base. Um, and I'm gonna I'm gonna look at my notes here to make sure that I'm in line because we've been kind of thinking about. There's a couple of different ways we could splice this, but I think that if we go back to the base, we we have to start with blockchain, right? Agreed. Um, mm. Yeah. So, t- so let's let's start there. What what is we kind of we mentioned in the first episode, but let's go back. What do we mean when we say all of this technology, all of these different you know whether it's how you think about accessing through a wallet or games or defi or whatever they're all existing on this thing called blockchain what is the blockchain or what is a blockchain a
0: blockchain is a sort of database that can only be read and written to it cannot be modified and it lives usually on a a bunch of different computers how many is uh, dependent on, the, on the, the protocol itself, but you'll hear these words in, in the blockchain parla- in the blockchain community,
1: things like "immutable." That means it can't be changed. Uh, you'll hear Which is weird, just as a side note, i got to pause you right there. That to me already is yeah. like you mean. I can't edit the data in the database. That sounds right. crazy to me. And I think
2: uh, what you just said, George, real quick, um, is key that for anyone listening, um, knowing because this is what I experienced that every single aspect of what we're going to talk about for me, it was layers upon layers of understanding. Yeah. Yeah. So even Tyler said a database that's immutable, depending on the protocol. Pause. For me, it's like okay, protocol, depending on the protocol. Oh, yeah, oh the so, rules. Okay, well, so somewhere me... someone defined okay rules. There we yeah. So anyways, B- keep going. Bitcoin
0: is a protocol. Ethereum right. is a protocol. Right. Um, right. A lot of the big names that you'll hear are protocols. And that's simply a, a way of building blockchains. It's a set of code. Uh, and to, to the bigger point, the, the struggle that I've had in, in learning all this is trying to to keep the analogies where I say a blockchain is like a database. Well, it, it is, but it, it's not like a database in the way that we understand database. It's not exactly. Like, yeah, right. yeah. like Chris Dixon would say, it's a blockchain is a computer. And he gets a lot of flack for that, but he's not wrong, but it's just not a computer in the way that we're used to thinking. And so mm-hmm. it, we've got to hold these definitions in a way loosely, at least as they relate to the things we already understand, because we can misunderstand pretty easily or misinterpret what these things are. And so it's, all of this is an exercise of remapping the way that I think about technology and the way that it has to happen onto new concepts.
1: Now, correct me if I'm wrong, Tyler, but when we think about a blockchain, <clears throat> traditionally speaking, it's not storing... It's not storing large sets of data in the same way that, like, an Amazon S3 server would be storing images or video files or, you know, um, even applications themselves. The blockchain primarily is storing uh, a ledger or a um, – hmm. um, am I correct in saying that or is that only true for certain protocols? The latter. It's, it's a, 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 a blockchain – is
0: a series of blocks that are chained together in series, building on one uh-huh. another, and yep. each block contains data. Blockchain specific, okay. it, so Bitcoin is is a ledger, strictly. This this account, I see, I see. this much to this particular account. But there are projects out there that store files. There are projects that store okay. other kinds of data. There, mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. the problems that they're solving are. Just different, but if, if you think like for an analogy, and this is not, again, this is this is a loosely held analogy, but if you think back to the Napster or the Tor or the Pirate Bay days, those were files. Those were stored. the days. Just as a side <laughs> note, that no one. comment. I mean, those, that no <laughs> comment. But those those applications worked. They were peer to peer in that I yeah. had a I com- had an application on my computer that I could access files that were stored on other people's computers around the world. And then if I said download this file, it would pull from those files ar- around mm-hmm. the world. And so it's right. uh, it's it's not the exact same thing, but again, I'm going
2: for loosely held metaphors here.
1: Yeah, but, and, we, and we can't get too deep because right. this needs to stay as high level as, as, as possible. Yeah.
2: One one analogy that that helped me um, when I was first researching this a couple months ago was around the think of a uh, a box a, rec- a box of receipts. So think of it, in your storage room or whatnot there, uh, a blockchain eat, a block is a box of receipts or transactions or events that's stored in the block. And then when that box gets too full from January, 2020 and you go into February, 2020, it's another box of receipts and you, and it's in chronological order and each one points to the one, um, before it or prior to it. And so each block is, it's a chain of events or transactions or, in this analogy it's a it's a box of receipts oh the box is too full you move on to the next one and then you move on to the next one
0: yeah and, and to that point there's not yet a great case for a, a, a blockchains to be used in every situation so mm-hmm. we're not quite there yet. and so before people go out thinking oh chrome is <laughs> building everything on web three and blockchains we're, we're not even close to that at this point it's good for very specific kinds of um, ledgers information, that kind of thing. There are projects out there that are exploring all kinds of cool different ways to to use blockchains, but we're not about to replace Django or anything like that.
1: yeah, yeah. okay, so so let's move forward a little bit. So I think I think that kind of sets at least the foundations for 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 just a blockchain. Simply put, it's it is a, a new type of database. It's usually uh, spread across multiple computers. The volume, we don't know for sure. It, it, is, it has different protocols, different purposes. It can be deployed in different ways, accessed in different ways. Um, so let's take it down to the... Go, can I, can I want to I interject need...
0: on an important point yeah. that nobody owns the blockchains, at least mm. in, in their idealized state. Nobody owns Bitcoin. Yeah. There's a right. group of people that get together to decide what happens with Bitcoin. And same thing with Ethereum and uh, these, these other... Chains, and so they usually start out uh, what we call centralized. So that means there's an organization who's who's investing in building this thing out, and then they build a community, which then takes on the ownership of what we call nodes or computers that are running this particular blockchain program. And eventually, the community it is owned by the community, and the the community will decide what changes need to be made in order to help this thing thrive and get more people to use it and. Just make it good all around. So the ownership is a key component of blockchains.
1: Yeah, which is a is a paradigm shift, really, because you were so used to either, again, Web one. I was owning a server because it was sitting next to me, and I I controlled what was on it and who saw it and everything else. Web two was cloud based, so I was renting storage from a conglomerate, uh, usually in a server farm someplace, either or either distributed or in one place. Um, and so, but it was owned by Google Amazon Microsoft etc um, and this is now saying while I I may own a miner I may own a server I may I may own a node I don't actually own what's what it's representing mm-hmm. uh, which is the entire blockchain mm-hmm. that uh, the protocol it's on right yep that's right okay good. So let's move forward. So there are, there are lots of things to unpack even in blockchain. So we did not even scratch the surface of all the technical aspects of how that technology works or uh, the pros and cons of it. So that's not what we're, we're trying to do here. We just want to give some basic definition here. So let's move forward into smart contracts. So um, on the blockchain, you have smart contracts. So what is, it, what is a smart contract? I know what a contract is. I'm not very good at reading them or writing them, but I, I, I know what one is. What is a smart contract?
2: Yeah, so, yeah, and Tyler... As, a, as our expert, correct me, but uh, smart contracts came <laughs> came along on Ethereum. Um, they're primarily on Ethereum, um, and they can be defined. So when you're making a contract uh, between, or I mean, let's call it a commitment uh, between two parties, typically you might have an intermediary that's verifying that um, an event took place. So if you um, have a claim, an insurance claim, they have to verify some level of an interme- a third party has to verify that this happened so that then at some point compensation can be released or certain factors can be released. Where um, the smart contract operates pretty much the exact same way, except the contract is digital, it's code-based, and it will deliver on the promises as long as certain criteria are met that has been coded into the contract. Um, So for example, um, yeah, let's go back to, like a a real estate deal. So, um, and then again, this is, um, I think this is coming. I don't know if, um, there's anything like this yet, but I would say this is coming. Who's going to make their house
1: an NFT. Come on now. (laughs)
2: Right. So right now we'll just say this is more of, of an analogy, but it fits really well. There you go, Um, title companies. So if I'm making, you know, okay, so George wants to buy a piece of uh, property that I own. So we will, so there's a selling price and he's the buyer. And then um, there has to be some level of a verification of that, so a title company or some other type of company that's verifying that yes, I own it, I can sell it and George is buying it. And then once the transaction happens, funds are released. So funds will go from his bank to mine because he's purchasing my property. What a smart contract will do is all of that, those stipulations are coded into the code on top of the blockchain. And once those uh, stipulations happen, there's no intermediary. Um, It's a trustless system, meaning that we don't have to bank on the trustworthiness of the the intermediary, the third party. We bank on the trustworthiness of the code. Um, And so when that happens, then funds... Even if it's on a Sunday, again, it doesn't, isn't it bound by time when the th- the third party is working or happens to have office hours or the markets open or whatever that is, funds will immediately go from my oh, account yeah. or from George's account to my account. And it can happen within a matter of hours or even a day versus having to be held up in escrow or whatnot. Or, and so, sec-
1: I mean, minutes for that matter. Yeah,
2: exactly. And so again, there's the... The third party is there rendered it's not necessary anymore and so and again there's so many different uses of smart contracts but that is a little bit of an analogy of how those work
0: yeah you you mentioned it at the end but the escrow piece is yeah in that scenario it's the key piece because uh it it gets we use escrow because we don't trust the third party and i've had business deals that i've tried to yeah we couldn't, we couldn't agree on an escrow partner because yeah. this guy wanted one, and I wanted another, and we kept going back and forth. And had we been able to, this was I mean, a decade ago, but had we been able to use smart contracts in this way, we could have said, all right, let's write a contract. We can both validate it because, all, because these contracts are simply data sitting on right. a blockchain. And so they're open mm-hmm. source. Anybody can look into them and see, given the, the rules within this contract, this is what will happen. Mm-hmm. and so anybody can validate whether or not it has bugs in it or if it will actually true if it will actually do what it say it's going to do if i add this money to this contract will it actually give me
1: the, the this particular record or or will it not Every, it can be validated by anybody right right we'll come back to this later but <clears throat> this is probably the area that i'm most curious about for crema, because as we start thinking about our clients, whether they're enterprises or, or small businesses or even individuals, startups that are, they're thinking about building value in different Mm -hmm. areas or exchanging value for something else This is where we can get into NFTs or into, um, you know, even services could be exchanged over a smart contract. Right. Um, then, then it becomes really interesting because, again, we're getting rid of... A, in, in theory, you're kind of getting rid of a middleman, but that is software now that has to be built. Because as mm-hmm. I understand it, basically a, a smart contract is more like a, a piece of software, a piece of a, a, an application that's running on the blockchain right. that is making a certain set of claims that the, the group agrees to. Um, and then you get really interesting with it, and we'll get into this in a second, but then you get into the point where... Those contracts can be nuanced to say, for example, I sell a piece of art as an NFT. We'll get to what NFTs are here in a second. But I can write into the smart contract that there are loyal, or royalties that I'll get for every subsequent, subsequential transaction, which has never really been done with art before. So then you start unlocking all these opportunities because it's a, it's a piece of software that it's no longer held in like, well, you know, I stole the painting. So, you know, whatever it's, you can, you can see it happen throughout it's life cycle. Cause again, you can't delete that information. That data always will exist on the block. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. what else, what else to add to smart contracts? I think that was a really great overview, Dan.
2: I think it's fascinating to be
1: quite yeah, honest. It's huge. Uh, the potentials the, the
2: idea. It's going it. to
1: take over everything.
2: And the fact that every, the blockchain and the community can verify the contract that it happened. And so that's why it just seems now, again, there are risks, you know, whether it's, you know, bugs in the system as uh, bugs can happen in smart contracts or um the the other thing that uh, was fascinating to me is that depending on how uh, robust the soft, uh the smart contract can be it can bog down well that's my version mm-hmm. of bog down the system and so obviously there's still a lot of things to work out because the more these are become normal the the system's going to have to be able to handle it. and as we all know a paper contract man, it can be very in-depth and very, you know, this will only happen if like 17 different things happen. Or if you think of like, I mean, trusts or states, I mean, all of these different stipulations, um, the fact that they can be a smart contract is fascinating, but it's going to require just a lot more, the blockchain to be able to handle that robust of a contract. Right now, I think, you know, you can have a few stipulations, but it because there's so many of them, it can't handle as much as, you know, right now, a paper contract can.
0: you you touched on a really important lesson that we learned this year where we spent some time going really hard trying to get what i've what i've been calling getting a feel for the material of the blockchain what is what is it like to not just learn about it and read about it, watch videos and buy crypto and nfts and all this but what does it look like to actually build with it and there are lots of poorly written contracts and not in the Mm -hmm. sense of it, they, I mean, there's a lot of contracts that don't do what they say they're going to do. There's a lot of that. Uh, but there's a lot of, uh, we're heading into territory where there are no paved roads. It is Mm -hmm. not like building a react app and using node for your backend and all this. There's so much that is unwritten and people are kind of, Mm -hmm. um, figuring out as they go because the resources, yeah, the resources just aren't there for here's how to do all this kind of thing. And so, and actually I say that. And that that was true, especially true in April, May, and June. Now, even in the last couple of months, there have been a tremendous amount of resources that have been put out that help with that but um, the the strength and the elegance I'll say of a contract greatly impacts how much it will cost for you to execute that, especially on ethereum mm-hmm. if it's a poorly written contract it mm. can it can cost significantly more uh, whether it's more data or just more func- more uh, more transactions and whatnot it it gets complicated pretty quickly for folks.
1: I'm looking ahead. I don't know that we have, we address the word, but I think it's a word that probably people are hearing that maybe they don't know. And correct me if I'm wrong. Maybe this applies to something we'll talk about here in a little bit, but that kind of plays into when we're talking about transaction, where we're talking about asking the blockchain to do some work. Um, it's where it's specifically with Ethereum and a few other, other protocols. That's where you start getting into this term gas fees. Hmm. Um, and I, I want to kind of just call that out because I think a lot of people are com- confused as to what a gas fee is, and is it who who yep. gets that money, and where is it, what's it for? Um, Tyler, I want to throw that to you. Give give us the the short definition of like what what is a gas fee because I think that's probably an area that people get um, caught up on.
0: Yeah, gas fee is on the. Uh, mostly on the Ethereum network, other other mm-hmm. protocols might call it something else, uh, but everybody has a fee to run, to use the network, and so on Ethereum mm-hmm. that's called gas. It's uh, measured in a couple different units that fluctuate with how busy the network is, and those fees go to the people running Ethereum nodes, and it's a it's a pretty complicated system. But in in a way, it's like an auction system where you say I want to run, I want the I want the network to run this transaction, and then nodes will pick it up based on what, based on how much gas they get out of that. And so it's right. an incentive for people to run the network. And so you can think about it like the, it's the, it's the fee you pay your lawyer to write up this contract. Much, much lower fee to write that contract,
2: <laughs> to run that That's contract. Right. Right. Cause, cause Tyler, correct me if I'm wrong, but bec- uh, because every transaction has to go through every single node on the blockchain. Correct. Mm-hmm. And it's it just, but, yeah, it's just highly inefficient. And so, like you said, it's, you pay the net, You pay the network a fee.
0: Yeah, and and I'll. I was i do not know that it goes through every single node. It usually goes through a certain number of confirmations. Has to hit a certain per- percentage. It yeah. goes gotcha. a threshold, so not. Gotcha. Yep. Not every single one, has to be confirm. Because
1: you do run the the there is the theory that if you have a, a block that's that's apart from the network, that it couldn't be updated, or offline or whatever. But once mm. it's reconciled, there's a there's. Yeah,
0: and yeah. just real quick it d- it goes for those confirmations because it needs to reach a certain consensus that says right. this wallet right. wants to send this money from this one to this one the wallet sent the sending wallet actually has that money and they need confirmation from these other nodes to say yes that's true and then they need to confirm with the other wallet to say yes this is this has arrived in that in that other wallet and there needs to be a certain level of hmm. consensus and again different protocols different blockchains will have different methods of arriving at that and that's part of why mm-hmm. They cost uh, different to to run. That's part of why some are faster, some are slower. It's also a part of why, and I'm not going to get into this, but just to say, uh, it's also why more and more we're hearing about what are called roll-ups. So uh, roll-ups will execute some of these, uh, or manage hmm. some of these transactions so that they can compensate for uh, weaknesses of the actual blockchain.
1: Hmm. We'll okay, I want to already. be mindful of time. Yeah, this is this is really good. So let's let's move forward. Um, let's jump over to DeFi. So again, if you've seen this term, it's the the big D, little e, big F, little i <laughs> that, that uh, <laughs> some people might have seen. Um, again, it's a Web three term. Um, uh, it really, it stands for decentralized finance. It's probably what people are most familiar with because of things like Coinbase. Do you think? I, I feel like. I think NFTs are are more popular. Well, maybe mm. now, but I think that it started with I think, I think we saw more people interested in getting into this idea of decentralized finance, right? Mm-hmm. Um, where it, whether it was like I, I like Bitcoin, I like that it's a, it's a tra- tra- you know that it's basically free transactions for unlimited amounts of money. Um, I think that it's faster. I think that there's all these derivatives and ways that we could think about it. Um, now, of course, NFTs have become more popular culture, um, but they're, they're still in the backbone of paying for it with mm-hmm. decentralized finance, uh, models at least. But then there's DeFi in general where there's actual um, applications or protocols or solutions that are all just about DeFi. So maybe maybe just touch on that real quick. Mm-hmm. I don't want to spend too much time on this one because it, it touches on any, a bunch of the other ones, but what do we mean when we say DeFi?
0: Yeah, so as a, as a quick analogy or an example, right now to buy my home, I need to go to to a bank, have them approve me for that. And and this is vast oversimplified. There's so many people intermediaries in here. But I need I need to get money from someone in order to pay somebody else for this house. And that money comes from one bank. And with DeFi, that money can come from many, many people there's there might be one service, but there could be 100 1000 people that are saying I'm willing to uh, loan money to somebody with this that meets this kind of criteria and then they get uh they get the interest on whatever interest or whatever we call it Mm -hmm. uh, on whatever i pay to the to the service to use that and so it's decentralized Mm -hmm. in that um the provider uh the supplier of funds is decentralized as opposed to centralized like a single
2: bank might be now
1: And it takes out that middleman. So you could, you you, you can really do peer to peer transaction models.
2: Yeah. If you were to ask someone, okay, describe the finance system, they'd probably say something. Well, it includes insurance where I can get things, all different sorts of things insured. There's the stock exchange where I can put money in and and earn um, on my money through investment. Uh, I can make deposits in a bank so they can lend and borrow. and there's you know deriv- derivative tra- uh, trading as well. It's the same thing with DeFi, except it's digital. Um, it's faster. And for example, I don't have to open up an account using my social security number. And do I, I don't have to have a third party facilitating the trade. So DeFi, again, works in that same way, except it's not centralized. It's decentralized like we've been talking about. Wait,
0: you, you touched on something else that we kind of glossed over early on with blockchains, uh, and specifically in DeFi. And this might be a segue into tokens, but yeah. go ahead and uh, take have... it there. Tokens
1: is our next term, yeah. so it yeah. feels so transition. I have, an,
0: I have an address, and a smart contract lives at an address, uh, and so, and I have an address as a user of the system. I have an address, and that's where the data lives. The data lives at a particular address, and uh, and so when I uh, when I create that address, it's public. So how much money I have in any given address is public Mm -hmm. to everybody Mm -hmm. in the system. You can go right now and look up on um, etherscan.io how much money and the the NFTs that are are owned by a particular address. And so it comes back to this trustless system where if I apply for a loan through a particular DeFi service, they can look at the assets that I have in that address and know exactly how much money I have and and whether or not I'm a risk in certain regards. Yep, that's a great point to call out uh and that's again that's part of how the consensus thing works because every every node has access to this public address yep uh and then going into tokens there are uh two main kinds of tokens there's uh i mean there are like four or five but uh we have uh a nft which is the the more common kind of token that that is a a token that says you you own something and i'll come back to that and then there are um uh, an nft stands for non-fungible token Fungible meaning readily exchanged with one another. So our dollar bills are are fungible because $1 is the exact same value and representation as another. It doesn't matter which one I have. Uh, and that, But an NFT is non-fungible in that it represents ownership of one unique item, like a baseball card or something like that, or my house for that matter. One unique item
1: that mm-hmm. I alone
0: can own. And then there are tokens like uh, governance tokens, which say... Because I own this particular token, I get a certain level of voting privileges or responsibility as a part of whatever, whatever program or whatever protocol.
1: And is these token permissions what it's for? What its purpose is? Are they all written into the smart contracts?
0: Correct. So they're part of that. So it's a separate smart. It's a separate smart contract. So and they're they're separate tokens. So right now. uh, I'm struggling to think of an example <laughs> right now, but uh, on the same protocol, I can have um, well, like I'll, I'll pick on Cardano. So Cardano, I can have ADA, which is their their fungible currency. And I OK, can buy so I want
1: I'm going to pause you for just one second. So there's Go. Bitcoin, there's Ethereum there. And then you you, you switched over to Cardano, which is yeah. another Thank network, you. another um, protocol network. Yep. So I just just so if you're not familiar with Cardano or haven't heard of it before, It'd be another another place, another thing, if you want to put it in a category for your head, like Ethereum, like Bitcoin, but it, but different. So keep going. Yep. I just wanted to make no, sure that's that was... And, yep.
0: and that's what we call a layer one. It's like a, a foundational piece of technology, like yep. Bitcoin, Ethereum, that kind of thing. And um, I, I can have the, the fungible coin token, which is, it has its own ticker, it's ADA, and that has its own economic situation. And then there are governance tokens that I can... Uh, that I can use and depending on how many governance tokens I have, I get a certain level of influence or say in terms mm. of voting, what happens with the protocol. And so, and that's, uh, again, I'm skipping ahead, but, uh, when we get to DAOs, decentralized autonomous organizations, those are often, those are often, uh, governed by governance type tokens that you can't, mm. you can't exchange them for money in the like, same like way. Like voting rights.
2: If you right. ha- own a share you have a- okay gotcha right uh
0: and i want to because i was talking just talking about nfts it's very important for us to remember that blockchain and crypto and nfts and DeFi are not the same thing they're mm-hmm. all very tightly interrelated but mm-hmm. crypto is not nfts is not blockchains they're they're built on blockchains yes but crypto and nfts are are different and most of the critiques I hear of NFTs are that, oh, they're just JPEGs. I'll come back to that. And it's not just images because an NFT represents ownership of the JPEG or of the house or of whatever it is. It's like the deed to your house or the title to your car. The mm-hmm. NFT is a token that represents ownership of a, of a different thing. And sometimes that thing is on a decentralized network. Sometimes it's on Amazon. Sometimes the image is just stored on AWS for that matter because... The, where the thing itself lives is not as important as the security and knowledge of who owns it.
1: Mm. Uh, it's uh, it's similar to, for example, um, we're in Kansas City in the... <clears throat> or not Kauffman. Um, what's the art museum? Oh, my gosh. Um, Nelson? Nelson, Nelson Atkins. right. Uh, they have a whole wing that's the Henry Block um, wing, right? And it's all of his collection of art. He's passed away now, but he, uh, H&R Block, Henry Block. Um, he donated all of his original art to be shown at the museum. But from what I've heard, I don't know if this is true, but what I understand is that he had replications made of all of that art to be put back in his house. And so now is the is the art in his house any different than the art that's in the museum? It's It's a copy of it, but the, the, the true valuable art is the thing that's in the museum because it is owned. the the, the original ownership is known of that original piece. So it doesn't mm-hmm. matter if you copy it a thousand times, the original is worth more, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and
0: and yeah. somewhere there's some certificate of ownership that says yes. these people own that and these people are in charge of it. Right. And and again, I wanna I want stress this because I, I see this confusion everywhere, that the certificate of ownership is the NFT. It's yes. not the JPEG yes. or the object itself. And right. so when we get into, uh, when going back to DeFi, that my house is not the NFT. But there could be NFTs representing ownership of my house, mm-hmm. so that uh, if I live in an up-and-coming neighborhood, I could sell I could put my house into the value of my house into NFTs. other people buy that, I get that kind of liquidity, and then mm-hmm.
1: I'm making money. they're making money when I sell the house or buy back the NFTs from them, which then gets into the whole crazy space of like taking out loans on the value of these tokens. And, and yeah, I mean, there's, that's a whole nother level. So um, many questions. So many, <laughs> and, and like you said, it's, it's unpaved territory. We don't, we don't know yet. There is, there's some of that's already happening, but I think we're going to see even more of that coming. Um, okay. So we touched a little bit on from tokens. We touched on NFTs, non-fungible tokens. You touched on crypto, which is, it tends to be coins or a currency. Um, and so mm. if you, if you, anybody uses um, Robinhood or, you um, Uh, Coinbase or, I mean, KuCoin or all these different exchanges where you can buy and sell coins, quote unquote, uh, those are all different types of tokens that usually are tied back to a project or a protocol or or something very specific that has a purpose. Even if you don't know that when you're just buying and selling a certain number of them or a certain uh, percentage of them in an exchange. Um, yeah, I think people might be familiar with buying and selling on Coinbase more than they are that ADA is tied to Carbano or that um, sure. you know Bitcoin is was built for a particular purpose.
0: Yeah, and crypto right now is super interesting from a like from a bird's eye perspective, but it's it's super risky financially. So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this is nothing uh, here is financial advice. Is not, Let's remind people. very yeah. high risk, high reward. And, <laughs> and part of that is, is because it's unpaved territory. Part of these organizations that are putting tokens out, some of them know what they're doing, some of them don't, some of them what you think they are. There's a lot of opportunity for uh, what we call rugs where you get somebody to invest in this thing and then you take all that money out and then you leave people yep. hanging. And and so it's it's hard because crypto puts people, it gives people a new responsibility for, for their finances mm-hmm. and a lot of people aren't prepared for that. A lot of people just get into crypto and oh, where can I put a thousand dollars and get hundred thousand dollars in five years.
1: It's like, well, it doesn't really work like that. And you and need to pay a, more attention and be more responsible with it. What a weird time to be alive too, because I mean, I think about maybe my parents' generation, the generation before there were very savvy financial folks that were like their, their degrees were in that their, their, their education was based off of that because, mm-hmm. you know, they were going into something that would have to do with banking or, um, finance. Now you're finding And, and, and so everyone else got a job, Got a paycheck, maybe earned a pension or an investment or a 401k that was managed by somebody else. They didn't look at it very often until they got to a retirement age, hoped they had money, and then then they they cash it out, they paid taxes at certain points along the line, et cetera. Now you're moving into a space where what well, one, there's very little regulation on any of this. And so people are creating value centers. Off of almost anything they're just trying to find any way to create value centers off of it, anything um and now we have the technology to do it so there's no there's no there's no constraint <laughs> that's it's holding us back from what it could be used for yet until and,
0: yeah and and that's part of the what's exciting about it in that but uh, it, it's exciting, but there's also a lot of risk because right. Um, right. it allows so many new entry opportunities for not just companies to. To do different things with crypto, but for new economic participation, because again, in the world of DeFi, if I have a very low income, but I just got a new job, or yes. if I uh, just moved to the U.S., or so, like there are situations where it's really, really hard for somebody to participate economically. And I'm not even like the U.S. is pretty well grounded, but thinking yeah. in terms of South America or Africa, or under uh, right, underdeveloped, less developed. Countries and Or areas. underbanked
1: underbanked uh, population groups, yeah, that just don't have right. access to the cost that it takes to, to have an entity known as a bank, right? Yeah, uh, and, or,
2: safe, and being able to bank safely. Yeah, without
1: being, without being taken advantage of, right, right. exactly. Uh, and, and I've heard several stories of people saying, like, for instance, those that have come from um, underbanked um, nations or, or areas of the world, and then moved to America or moved to a more affluent area and then wanted to send money home. And there wasn't a way to get those finances back to their family um, mm-hmm. safely um, and securely. But now with mobile technology and mobile um, phones being in almost every hand of every person in the world, even you know, sub-Saharan Africa and these very, very remote locations, now you can talk about people getting valuable assets sent to them and then being able to have their own independent banking systems without the need for mm. a centralized bank. And, mm-hmm. and
0: this, this is another macro factor that, it, that is driving a lot of this adoption because right now my incentives and Facebook's incentives are very much misaligned. And <laughs> my incentives and Western Union's incentives, and I'm just picking on them because you mentioned sending money. Sure, yeah, yeah. But our incentives are fundamentally misaligned and uh, there, there are lots of charts and graphs that are a lot of fun to, to consider. But at some point, companies get big enough that they, they have to prioritize their own interests over those of potential customers or even current right. customers. Right. And so that's where DeFi, uh, DeFi starts to really look interesting because the interests of, of the, the service or the, the protocol, the, the contract, whatever it is, the token, are fundamentally aligned with those that own it.
2: Mm-hmm. and it's okay a whole so I, okay.
1: I know there are other types of tokens that we could get into i don't I'm, i for the sake of time i'm going to move us forward i think that maybe yep. in a future episodes we'll come back to some of those um there are three three topics that i want to quickly cover um in the last 10 15 minutes if we can wrap it up um uh daos wallets and DApps. so let's let's hit daos first um who wants to take that uh, you know what is a dao d-a-o what does that stand for
2: Go ahead, Tyler. You said that you're super excited about them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, yes,
0: as if it wasn't obvious. But <laughs> a, a DAO is a decentralized autonomous organization. And uh, like I said before, it's it's basically a community of people that have a certain level of ownership or authority or privilege, um, whether it's voting rights or just membership. And it is that group that sometimes it can function like a company. Mm-hmm. where we're going to make money for the services that we provide. And sometimes it's more like a nonprofit. Sometimes it's uh, like a B Corp. It just depends on the smart contract that governs participation in this DAO. And so when you, coming back to smart contracts, as a, as a, when I want to participate in a DAO, I acquire a token somehow. And in doing that, I'm participating in this smart contract. And so I get the benefits. I have to behave consistently with it. And, um, and so it, it can be, there's a lot of models for what a DAO is anymore.
1: So, Dan, you've talked about the the parallels in your mind for DAOs in like Aesop's. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, it, that's, it's a really helpful parallel for me. I know it's not a one-to-one because there's, it's not obviously built on a, uh, a, um, the smart contract. It has, um, a slightly different governance model, but there is some parallels in the fact that like a, an ESOP or a employee owned right. organization, um, is, is similar in the sense that there are, depending on your how long you've been there or your position, you have different voting rights, but yet it's still something that has like, there's still an organizational structure to it. Mm -hmm. Um, um, but it's, it's being held or owned by something other than maybe just the original founders or an investment group or a private equity group. Mm -hmm. Um, it's a different ownership model.
2: Yeah. Um, and there are, it's very similar. So, uh, Mentioning that decisions are made from the bottom up governed by the community. There are parallels to that in ESOP of like, if you are a maybe a traditional ownership, um, and again, um, I may be butchering this, but uh, if you're a traditional LLC or S Corp, you know, you define maybe there's an ownership group, you know, maybe one person, two people, three people. But then you if you move to an ESOP, there is a a fairly lengthy process Mm -hmm. of restructuring into an ESOP that can take several months, but it's governed by rules. Uh, There's governing procedure, Um, you specify how much um, of a certain I guess a uh, chunk of the company can be owned by the employees themselves versus previous owners, um, who has voting rights, vesting periods. So there's, again, these protocols, um, quote unquote, um, that are written into these governance structures, very similar to, um, a DAO. Yeah. So the, the parallels are similar.
0: Yeah, it's good. And to, to
2: contrast
0: like, like an ESOP, those already exist, right. but right. in terms of governing them, there are there are people, and those people mm-hmm. can take time and fees, rightfully so, because we want to pay people for for good work. But uh, we have to acknowledge that uh, the the money that we pay the the many lawyers required to form and manage these kinds of relationships is yeah the is not, yeah
2: the back office is extreme
0: yeah yeah and so how, how the question is how can more of that stay with the people actually doing the work rather than the overhead of managing them right
1: I think I'm with you uh, I think we're all kind of like we're dancing around a little bit, but we're all very interested in that space um, in the future of it for, for, for I mean, for lots of different projects. So I think not, I mean, we're seeing them happen. Right, primarily, the place I've been seeing them the most, if you're looking up DAOs, is I, I tend to see them around organizations that are formed to govern cryptocurrencies. That's where I've seen them the most personally. They're probably used for lots of other areas, but that's where I'm, I tend to be seeing. I agree with that. Um, okay, let's hit the last two, wallets and dApps. So wallet, you've mentioned a couple times, Tyler, already as we talk through our conversation. Um, this was probably the biggest barrier to entry, and probably will be one of the biggest barrier to entry for most people that are just trying to like touch the tool, <laughs> mm-hmm. right? Because right. you have to understand that you need a wallet to do anything. Um, and um, so maybe very simply, what is what is a wallet? And then we can talk about some popular ones just, just because there might be some people that go, well, I, what, which, which wallet do I use and how do I get one and that kind of thing. So, is, so I got a billfold. Uh, well, I mean, no, that's not true. My dad has a billfold. I have a little like, thing that is on the, 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 uh, the side of my phone. And eventually, I would rather not have these credit cards on the side of my phone through this little leather Apple thing. This would all be interconnected on a digital wallet. What are we talking about when we say Wallets.
0: Yeah, so a wallet is a way to manage the various accounts that you have so coinbase has a wallet and when you create an account on coinbase a user account or user profile and you buy crypto they give you you get a crypto address and then that is seen and managed from within your wallet another common wallet is metamask and that's a a browser extension that, you that can was use the first one
1: beyond beyond the exchange. The first one that I actually started to use to look at NFTs and other places like that mm-hmm. was MetaMask. It's pretty. It's probably the most popular.
0: Yeah, yeah, by by far. And and so the wallet. Uh, it's a Chrome extension because that's how you interact with Web three websites. And we'll get into DApps mm-hmm. in a minute. But in order to buy something on the internet through through a uh through ethereum i need to do that through a wallet like yeah. metamask and so the site will prompt me it'll prompt metamask and then i have to um uh, signs uh, you, you click a button but you're essentially signing saying yes i agree to interacting with this website and so that's written onto the blockchain and then if i want to buy something like an nft or whatever that is then that too is written onto my account through mm-hmm. the wallet and then onto the blockchain itself
2: Tyler, real quick, is there a – I'm guessing the answer is yes, but is there a reason or a – yeah, is there a reason why someone would need or want to have multiple wallets? Um, The reason I ask is because that could get really, really cumbersome real fast. It does. Yeah. And so (laughs) Uh, I guess maybe we can – table that, but I think even because I think the last episode I mentioned um this uh, just the mindset of entering into this brand new world that people are gonna have to, but it's so confusing. Even things like that, which wallet do I use? Do I need multiple? How do I manage all of this? So anyways, just Can a I suggest
1: then. that maybe we we even we punt that to another episode because I think that's totally. something we could unpack. Because there's I wanna I want to in future episodes I'd love to talk more about the nuances of both the kind of risk rewards the opportunities now that we have this language to work with and to to talk with where can it go Mm -hmm. both for good and maybe Mm -hmm. for risk and everywhere in between and i think that what you're talking about is is um a lot of that i see as risk mitigation Mm -hmm. but yep it's fourth and long i say we punt it okay I, i that was a that was a that was a Sports, right? Sports ball. Okay, cool. <laughs> um, okay, so so we're only just touching on wallets, and I think that that's a pretty good overview. because the reality is, is that your wallet has an address. Your address has a public key. There's private keys. There's lots of different ways you can you can exchange things. So, for example, um, I, I hope you don't mind me saying, Tyler, that you um, you n- minted um, some photography on OpenSea. And you gifted me one of those um, uh, pictures. And so, like, you had to send it to my wallet to say, George has the, the token that the, has the, the, the rights to the ownership of one of these pieces. And, and it was kind of you and I playing around to see how, how that would work and, and um, how that would play out. And so that's an example of... The only the thing that proves that I have it is that my wallet's address is now written onto the Ethereum network, and it says out on the – can you go to Etherscan and see this? George's address is tied to this asset, um, and so on that asset, it's in reverse written onto the asset now. There is a key that says this address is the owner of it. That address okay. is owned by me in my particular wallet that is on my Chrome, and then I have a, a mobile app as well that I can access it. Um, I'm I'm going to get you on that technicality, but only for clarity. Oh,
0: please, please, please. The the your address exists independent of MetaMask. So MetaMask is an interface for the blockchain. That's good. It's yeah. really good. And and that's that's important. And I uh, it's important because that's actually really again, good all of this is readily visible to anybody which is part yes dan there you there are many good reasons to have multiple wallets multiple addresses or i'm sorry there are many good reasons to have multiple addresses and yes even multiple wallets just to help you manage these, these things and it's a crucial point and bringing it back to the people of product the point of the podcast is that the one of the biggest opportunities for uh for anybody moving into this space is to make the ux readily understood and easily accessible and elegant because right now one of the biggest barriers mm-hmm. is it is really there's so many steps and it's so confusing and it's mm. not clear why you have to have a wallet and an address and I thought I did this and I thought I did that but now I go over here and it's not and uh, and so the UX of this whole ecosystem where right now it's big and it's notable and it's making headlines but as soon as the UX starts to catch up to everybody's expectations that are rooted in web 2.0 experiences that's mm-hmm. when Web three starts to 100%. really gain steam, and that will be done in part because of DApps. So a mm-hmm. DApp is a decentralized application that runs on the blockchain. Right now, when you download the Facebook app, that goes through the App Store. It's made by a centralized company, Facebook, and then it goes through a centralized uh, centralized system store, run store,
1: yeah,
0: yeah, Apple. run by Apple, and the data is stored in in Functionally uh, or practically, it's stored in one place, and that's Facebook. And so Facebook has access to all of that data, and you don't get it uh, unless you go through a whole ser- whole heap of trouble. Uh, but uh, but for DApps, I want to make something clear, and then we can we can talk about them. But uh, right now, the the back end of a DApp is built on the blockchain. The front end, a lot of the front ends of dApps are written in react or or mm-hmm. whatever it the front end doesn't matter because you still have to have this interface that's compatible with the devices that we use day in day out where but like we, all the way coming back to the coming back full circle blockchain the data and a lot of the functionality exists on the blockchain and that's why it's decentralized
1: hmm. so one of the things that we'll get to in the next few episodes but I noticed that when I brought up the idea of Web3 being in the potential future for Crema, uh, some of our developers were like, I don't know and I don't care, and why would I need to be involved in that? Until what you just said came up, which is we're primarily a JavaScript shop, right? I mean, we do a ton of work in React, some node work. Web 2.0 is not going away. Those platforms are still going to be needed as interfacing to... This new computing technology, um, and that will be true for lots of different reasons. And even some of the DApps that I've signed on for, I have found that there is—it's like I don't want to say percentage. It's like ninety percent of it is Web three backend, and then there's like this like ten percent that's a that's like a centralized server to reconcile some things. So, for example, I might use my my MetaMask wallet to sign up for a, a project or a service online an exchange or a, uh, an art gallery or something like that, right? And then it'll go, do you want to give us your email address, which is a totally, that's Web 2.0, right? Do you want to give us an email address and a password, Web 2.0 authentication, which means it's being mm-hmm. stored on a server someplace for authentication so that we can notify you about things. Oh, okay. So Web3 hasn't figured out notification systems very well yet. I mean, it'll Mm -hmm. come. We'll get there. So there are these centralized services which have platforms built that are just integrated like crazy for sending out emails and for sending out text messages and stuff like that that are just easier on Web 2.0. And so that's where we're saying earlier, and we talked about the current way we build apps is going to be around for a long time. Mm -hmm. Um, There are special use cases where this thing called Web3, blockchain decentralized computing is going to have a purpose and it's very popular right now because it's new and it's novel and nobody gets it. And so we're all trying to get it. (laughs) Um, and, and so that's why we're as crema, we're very interested because we think there will be niche opportunities that we, there will be specific times when we're helping our clients do it, or maybe with crema ventures, we're doing it for ourselves or whatever that might be that we're playing with this, this new wave of computing and and sharing ownership and things.
2: Hmm.
0: Yeah. And to go back to something you said, when I download a DApp, it's connecting to a particular address on the Ethereum network. And mm-hmm. then, and then that, that data, that information, I don't have to create a new account for every new website. Right. And I don't have to use my Google account, which is a centralized. And Google has done enough to earn, to earn my trust in terms of my um, the security of my email and password. And also use things like one password and that kind of thing, of course. But, mm-hmm. uh, but if I were to sign up for another DAP, they could, I mean, right now they'll use my, that same MetaMask and have access to that same information. And it's not, it's not information that I hold deeply personal either. And so, again, this publicly available, um, uh, composable, like, apps can interact with my wallet equally mm. well, uh, regardless of who built them and who's storing that data. Because Facebook doesn't own that data. Google doesn't own that data.
1: It's, it's fun. I mean, the reason we again, we're, we're letting our audience, our listeners kind of get a peek behind the scenes of, um, of us exploring. I know we said we'd try to make this episode short, but we got to an hour y'all. Yeah, sorry it is, about that. Uh, no, I mean, there's a lot to cover. It's, it's no it's wonder a deep... I'm tired. Wow. <laughs> I've got another deep...
0: 45 minutes of material, George.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I know uh, we got hours of material. You and I have talked a lot. Um, let, I I want everyone to tune in. If you're not subscribed to the podcast already, if someone has shared this episode with you, um, for context, People of Product primarily is about um, product teams, product culture, and whether it's in an agency or in-house or um, anywhere in between, we're really trying to help people think, how do you build teams, equip people, train individuals to think differently so that they can create, design, build uh, solutions that help people thrive? right and we do believe that this new technology will be a factor for sure in the future of everything that we do um, which is like I think gosh I know that we've all been peeking around it for a little while but in the last three to five months is when it was like we have to pay attention like and, it was and it's
0: n- go ahead. go
1: ahead no 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 go
0: it's not gonna just be a technology shift this is not yes, like moving yes, from you, react yeah. to yeah. angular this, it's it's a mindset shift in the way that we work as teams, the way that we see our customers, the way that we see their relationship with technology and all that. It's not just, oh, we're going to learn how to work in solidity.
2: It's even the way we see ownership. It's a difference the way we see ownership, uh, the way we see community, um, the way we discuss the ethical way to build technology. I mean, Mm. really, Mm. honestly, I mean, it goes deeper than that.
1: Yeah. So let's unpack that as we go Love forward. It. I think we're gonna we're gonna take a bunch of these topics that we've kind of mentioned here, and we'll come back to this this jargon and this vocabulary. So if you listen to future episodes, or if you're on the first episode and you're, you're a little confused about what this whole Web one two three is, um, this episode is really just to give a very quick overview of a lot of the jargon. Um, I will see if I can't work with the team to get. Um, Uh, the majority of our notes here uh, actually just copied and pasted right into the show notes. So there's a bunch of links that we're pulling from and there are a lot more. Uh, And there are lots of podcasts of people that have already been in this space for years that can go and nerd out on it a lot further. But if you're following us because you're interested about product culture, about design, creativity and technology and how people are doing the future of work, um, we want to introduce you to this topic because we're exploring it ourselves. So, uh, I, I'm just I'm, I'm more excited than I probably have been in a long time for just for just something new uh, it feels like we've been talking about the same thing for a long time so it feels really exciting to, to be jumping into a new topic and uh, Dan Tyler thank you so much for exploring this with me today and uh, like I said subscribe um, follow us and share this out because we're going to be diving even deeper in, in the, over the next couple episodes thanks everybody thanks guys thank love you love it bye bye now see ya
0: This episode of People of Product was produced by Larissa McCarty with support from Julie Branson and Steph Inger. Our hosts are George Brooks and Daniel Linhart. People of Product is brought to you by Crema, a digital product agency. We believe that creativity, technology, and culture can help individuals and organizations thrive. Learn more at crema.us.